one of the tenets of the free church is that we try to major on the majors. And almost 20 years ago, I knew that the fellowship of churches that I was in, I was going to leave. Because they were focusing on how they were better than others. And it seemed like every year they came out with, we're against this, we're against this, we're against this, we're against this. And at one point I said, well, what are we for? What are we for? And so I knew that I wanted to come to a fellowship of churches that basically focused on the most important things. They didn't get bogged down in the details that everybody wants, you know, people want to divide over. Whether we wear the right clothes or carry the right Bible or different things along those lines. I really wanted to be in a fellowship of churches where we were majoring in the majors. We were focusing on the most important things. So this series is really uh, part of my roots as far as the free church because I came out of another denomination and I got reordained in the free church. I had to go through the ordination process all over again. Um, and I'll tell you sometime what that process is if you want to hear the story. But the bottom line is, I did that because I believed that it was important to be a pastor within the free church. So I went through the ordination process. But I did it, and I've never regretted that. I've never regretted that decision. Because I found a kinship, I found uh, just mentors, I've just found a great support system within the free church. So we have been going through this uh, doctrinal statement of the free church. We're calling this series Majoring on the Majors because that's really what it is. This, these are the, the most important beliefs of the free church. We're going we're gonna to finish that, this series this weekend. And uh, basically, uh, the, the statement we're going to read is our response. Our response and the eternal destiny. And that's the last part of the free church statement. Um, I want to read a verse from Hebrews first, though, as we get started, because this is kind of where this statement is uh, what is discussing. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it says, Each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. Pretty cut and dry, pretty clear. You know, there you live, you die, and there's judgment. That's essentially the, the message of the Bible. So we want to discuss that. But I, before we do that, I want to read you the, the last part of the free church statement of faith. And uh, it's under the, uh, the, the title of Response and Eternal Destiny. We believe that God commands everyone everywhere to believe the gospel by turning to him in repentance and receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that God will raise the dead bodily and judge the world assigning the unbeliever to condemnation and eternal conscious punishment and the believer to an eternal blessedness and joy with the Lord in a new heaven and the new earth to the praise of His glorious grace. Amen. So what I want to do this weekend is I want to look at a passage from the book of Romans. We're going to be in Romans chapter 1 towards the end. Romans one twenty-eight. And I'm going to read through chapter 2, verse 11. It's on page 857. And I want to talk about what does is, what is, uh, the Bible say about judgment? What does the Bible say about judgment? Um, it's important for us to know what it says. So Romans chapter 1, I'm going to start reading at verse, one, or at verse 28. And it's uh, 
page 857. Now, it's a lengthy passage of Scripture, and Paul's making an argument, and I don't have time to get into his whole argument, but essentially what Paul says is, God has revealed himself to all people, and that, that no one has, lives up to the standard that God has laid down, and that, that all, we all fall short, and there's judgment coming. And then he's going to talk about how that judgment was taken by his son, Jesus Christ. So we want to jump in at chapter 1, verse 28. <laughs> Since they, they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do the things they should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent. Proud and insolent and proud and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises and are heartless and have no mercy. They know God's judgment. Justice requires that those who do such things or do these things deserve to die. Yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them. You may think you can condemn such people. But you are just as bad and you have no excuse when you say to the they are wicked and should be punished. You are condemning yourself for you who judge others do these same very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Do you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For on the day, for a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil for the Jews first and also for the Gentiles. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good from the for the Jew first and also for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. So in this passage, Paul is contrasting and he's really talking to the Jewish people and he's saying to them, you think you're better than the Gentiles, but you're not. You're doing just exactly what they're doing. You're judging them, but you're doing the same thing. And and his point is, you you can go ahead and condemn them, but the bottom line is you're condemning yourself because you're doing the same thing. So there's just a few questions I want to answer this weekend. The first one is this. Who will be judged? Who will be judged? Well, he tells us in chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Notice he says this. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. 
So judgment is coming to everyone, everywhere, from all times. But you may think, well, what about those who have never heard, right? Isn't that, isn't that what usually comes up here? What about those who have never heard? They have, ha- they had never had a chance to believe. It's not fair for God to judge people who have never heard. Um, but Paul anticipated this question. He anticipated that the judgment of God would draw people to say, well, it's not fair for God to judge people who have never heard. And this is what Paul's answer is in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. For ever since the world was created, uh, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power, and His divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. They have no excuse for not knowing God. Apparently, there's going to be an eclipse on Monday and everybody's going to act really weird that day. But you're going to look. Don't look at it. Don't look at it. But but you're going to see an eclipse. And it's going to be one of these weird things that happens hardly ever. And when it does happen, it's somewhere else. But it's going to be, you know, visible, sort of visible for us. And it's one of those things where you look at it and you say, who made all of this? Who made all of this? Why don't those, why don't the planets and, and, the, and the solar system, why don't they just collide? What, what you, and, and there's, you look at, 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 at how the orbits are and, and all the mass and, 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 and the way the universe is set up and you say, how in the world can we still be alive and how can we be on this planet? And, and Paul's, Paul's argument here is this. That when you take a good look at, at nature, when you take, take a good look at the, the universe, you have to believe there's, a, there's somebody behind it. There's an intelligent person who's designed it. And, and, the, and the point, Paul's point is God judges according to the knowledge we already have. He's given us, each of us, sufficient knowledge about himself. But what he says is, but most people reject that knowledge. Most people know better, but they don't, they don't, they don't follow. Um, think about this. Every one of us, carries a certain ethical standard, don't we? we there are certain things about, uh, that we believe are right that are proper. And we hold ourselves and we hold others accountable to those things. It may be the Ten Commandments. It may be as simple as do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. It may be just a simple, those simple things. Well, let me ask you a question. How you doing? How you doing? Do you keep the Ten Commandments? Is that your, if that's your standard? Do you do unto others as you would have them do unto you? Is that how you live your life? Is that how you, 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 you move through your life? Uh, can we say, in other words, are we faithful in keeping our own standards? That we've said, this is the standard that we've set. Can we say, if we're honest though, and, and maybe this is just me, okay? So I'm just talking to myself and you're just listening. But I tend to be harder on others than I am on myself. I tend to be more judgmental of others than I am of myself. And sometimes my wife points that out to me. But that's why I need a wife to point things like that out. She's like a mirror. She sees things that I don't see. And she says, you're like that. And I go, I don't want to hear that. She says, I know that. (laughs) But that's that. (laughs) But in the end, we don't live according to our standard. Let alone God's. We don't. If we're honest, we don't live according. 
let alone God's standard, we don't live only to our standard. And, and that's why Paul says in Romans 3.23, and later on in this argument, he says, everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. We all do. Everyone falls short. So that's who's going to get judged. And this, the, the bottom line is everyone is going to be judged. And then the next question I want to answer is, well, why do we need judgment anyways? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever said, well, listen, can't, he's God, right? I mean, last time I checked, God can do anything. Why can't God just drop it? Just let it go. I mean, just get over it. Just, just don't worry about it. Let's just forget it. Forgive and forget, right? Isn't that something? Forgive and forget. Actually, that's a good value to live by, right? Why can't God just forgive and forget? Why can't He just get over it? And you say, well, there's a reason. I want to show you why judgment is an important part of this life and the next. That you would not want to live without judgment. Now, that sounds like most people say, well, if I could live without judgment, I'd do that. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. And, and let me give you a few reasons why you wouldn't. Here, here's what it means. If there's no judgment day, then all the evil atrocities of the past will go unpunished. You okay with that? You okay with the millions of people that were, that were gassed in the, in, the, in the chambers? Are you okay with, with the millions of people who have been just murdered and just cast aside willy-nilly? Uh, are you okay that means there's no day of accounting for those who have brought great evils on others. That means there's no final justice. I mean, sometimes you cry out and you say, I just want justice, God. I just want to see evil people punished. Well, it, it, the bottom line is, if there's no judgment, then, then, there's no, then evil people will not be judged, right? And, and secondly, if there's no judgment day, then we have no ultimate standard for good and evil, right or wrong. Good and evil is up for grabs. If there's no final judge, if there's no final judgment, then good and evil is left up to each and every one of us to define ourselves. And i got to believe that in, in the audience, whether it's here or the, uh, the Roshet campus, that there's as many people as there are listening to this message, there's a different standard of justice, and right and wrong, and good and bad. Every one of us has a different standard, so which one do we use? The bottom line is, and, and we can't say to another person, if there's no final judgment, no final judge, we can't say to another person, your standard of judgment is wrong and mine is right. Who's to say that? There's no arbitrator. There's no, there's no judge to judge that. See, you, if you live, out, live your life without consequences or punishment for your actions, without any concern for future judgment, then evil will prosper. And if you're the arbitrator of what is good and bad, then, then that just means that you're the arbitrator and there's another arbitrator or another arbitrator. And everyone has a different standard. Not only that, but good and evil are left up for anyone to determine by themselves. In other words, you have no high ground to condemn somebody or an action as evil or bad. You can't do it unless there's a final judge and a final judgment. You know, you, because all they'll say is, well, that's fine for you, but it's not for me. You ever have somebody say that to you? 
And what are they saying? They're saying, you know what? I don't live up to your standard of judgment. I live up to mine. And that's the way Americans are. We, we love to have our own standard of living, right? Whatever we decide it was going to be. But if there is a judgment day and if there is a final judge who will one day set things right, then that means there is an ultimate good and evil and there is, uh, there is a, a final day of judgment. The Bible tells us very clearly that God will judge the living and the dead. And it also says that every one of us is going to have to give an account for what we have done before the final judge at the final judgment. And that means something. It means that our life, our behavior, and our actions here and now matter. Because one day we're going to have to stand before God and we're going to have to give an answer for our words and for our actions. (laughs) Right? That's... That's what the scripture says. The point is we need a final judgment and we need a final judge to make sense of and to bring order to this life. If we don't have a final judgment, then evil people will go unpunished. And there's, then if there's no final judgment, then uh, whatever justice you ever wanted in life, you'll never find it. That's why we need to judge, a final judge, and that's why we need a final judgment. So the third question I want to answer is this. On what basis will we be judged? On what basis? How will we be judged? Well, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 2, verse 9, God will render to every man according to his deeds. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Some of you immediately, you, you see that, you say, wait a minute, I thought... That the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. It has nothing to do with deeds. What about the, the mercy and justification of the ungodly? Didn't Paul say uh, in Titus 3, 5, God saved us not on the basis of works done, but, it, but uh, by, uh, done by us in righteousness, but he saved us according to his mercy through the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And how about Ephesians 2.8, which says, By grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So how do you say that we're going to be, we're going to be judged by our works? How, can, how is it that we could say we're saved by grace through faith, not by our deeds, yet we're going to be judged according to our deeds in the final judgment? This seems like a contradiction, or at least a tension in Scripture. How do you how do you answer that? Well, what I'd like you to do is turn over to Matthew chapter 12, because there's a principle here that we need to see. Jesus talked about this a lot. Jesus uh, and James, you read the whole epistle of James, it's just filled with this. So Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, uh, Jesus uh Sometimes people make Jesus so nice, he's so polite, he's so kind and gentle. Uh, But then you read statements like this. You brood of snakes. He doesn't sound very nice and very gentle there. He says, how could evil men like you speak what is good and right? 
For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And I tell you this, uh, and I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day, notice, for every idle word you speak, the words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. And here's judgment day. And here again is going to be judged by what we say. We're to be judged by what we say. And, and he says your words are either going to prove that you are, are true or they're going to condemn you. Now, what do, what do we make of this? Uh, essentially what Jesus is saying, and he says this over and over, he says your deeds, your words, are a reflection of your heart. Do you know that you can do the right thing for the wrong reason? You could say the right thing. You know, uh, when somebody says, does this make me look fat? You could say, no, it doesn't. When it really makes them look fat. You say, well, I'm just trying to be not, no, I'm going down a bad trail there. Just don't pick that trail up. All right, let me pull the, let me pull the, the, the sled out of the, the rut. We'll put it back on the trail. The, the point I want you to see is, Jesus is saying this. He's saying that we'll say things, and especially when we're, we're not protected in a sense of we don't have our mask up, where we're, we feel like we're in an environment, you know, we use different language in different environments and different co- companies of different people. And um, your language is different, isn't it, when you're with different people? Now, it shouldn't be, but let's be honest. It is. Uh, your behavior may be different in depending on what you... In other words, what I'm saying is sometimes we are like chameleons. We become like the people around us at that moment. And, and <coughs> one of the criticisms of Christians is you don't seem to have any backbone and any morals and any consistency. You say one thing, but you do another thing. You say this, but you do this. Your words, your actions betray your confession. And, and they're right, in a sense. And, then, and essentially, that's what Jesus is saying. And Jesus is saying something even more important. He is saying that every careless word, anybody utter careless words this week? I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we all did probably if we're honest about it. Uh, the bottom line is there, there, at that moment, there's a reflection out of the abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks. We are showing the state of our heart at that moment. Our actions show to the state of our heart. And so what Jesus is saying is, there are many times we would do all the right things for the wrong motive. We could say all the right things for the wrong motive because our hearts aren't right. You know, you think of the two brothers, right? The prodigal son. Uh, he had two prodigal sons, not just one. Uh, one prodigal son. It was clear by his actions. He was far from his father, right? Um, and then, as the, the, the younger son comes back and dad throws a party for him, and the older son's standing there, and he hears about the, he hears the party, and he comes to his dad, and he says, what's going on? What are you doing? We've killed a fatted calf. You never did that for me. So now he's expressing what's really going on in his life. That he wasn't the good son that everybody in town probably thought he was. 
He wasn't the one who was he was the one who looked like the good son. He looked righteous. He looked like he had. But his heart was far from his heart was as far from his father as the younger son when he had gone away in rebellion. But what happened? The younger son's heart turned back towards his father. Now, at the end of the story, we don't know the end of the story, but at the end of the story, it's meant to left open because I think it's meant for us to examine our hearts. But at the end of the story, we're not told what happens with the older son. We're not told whether his heart turns back towards his father. We're left with this conflict between the father and the son. And though the son, he's, what does he say? I was out there every day working hard. I was out there doing this. I was out, and you never threw me. What did you really think of your dad that way? Do you see what Jesus is saying is, you can do all the right things. You can look good. You can be very religious and go to church and give and serve. But your heart can still be far from God. What's going to happen on Judgment Day? Jesus said you can judge a tree by its fruit. You can also judge a heart by its actions. See, the issue isn't really are we saved by faith in Christ or by good deeds. The issue is on Judgment Day, how will God demonstrate to us that His judgment is just? How's He going to do it? And the answer is, Our own words and our own actions will condemn us. The minute that we, that we, basically the bottom line is, God, what if you, what if for the last year you had um, a GoPro strapped to you? Let's say you had five of them and they caught everything. Everything you said. Everything you did, every little snide remark, every little like facial expression you made when somebody was saying something, everything, they caught it all. And, and, and you stand before God one day and God says, did you, did you treat this person the way that I expected you to treat them? Oh, yeah. Oh, really? You did, right? You're sticking with that, right? You're, you're sticking with that? That's the truth, right? Okay. Uh, I have a little... Would you run the footage? Run the tape? And every angle is there. And it's all in high def. Heavenly def, right? HD, right? And it's there. There it is. He says, well, you know what? I'll, I'll tell you what. Don't you... Listen, you failed my standard, but let's go to your standard. Treat others as you want to be treated. Is that how you want to be treated? Just what you said, what you did? Is that how you want to be treated? The answer is no. So in other words, what you're saying is that you you don't, not only do you not live up to my standard, but you don't even live up to your standard. It's proof that we all fall short. That's the point. But Paul isn't saying that we're saved by our actions. He says our actions and our careless words and our careless deeds one day are going to condemn us. They're going to be the proof. And we're going to walk away and say, I have no case before God. He's got me dead to my rights. 
His every word. And by the way, He doesn't just see my words in action. He knows my heart. Well, how do you survive Judgment Day? Close with that. Can't avoid judgment. You're never going to avoid Judgment Day. And you will never survive Judgment Day. You're not good enough to survive Judgment Day. That's Paul's argument through Romans 3. You will not survive. He says to the Jews, you think you're better than Gentiles. You're not. You're doing the same thing they're doing and you're condemning them. The tape is going to play. Here's the point. You'll never avoid Judgment Day. You'll never survive Judgment Day. But you don't need to. Because in Jesus, we have already had our Judgment Day. And that's the message of the Gospel. That's what the Gospel says. The Gospel says that Jesus took our punishment. That He was judged in our place. That... that, that that He took my punishment and our judgment is behind us. Because in Christ, we have already been judged. When Jesus said, it is finished, He was saying, not only is the sins of all the past, but all the sins of the future have gone and come upon Me. And, and I am paying the price. I am taking the judgment. I am the one who, though I didn't fall short of God's glory or God's standard, and I kept His standard, I, the innocent one, will take on the judgment that you deserve. I will take your place. And that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. He took the condemnation for us. He died in our place. He took our judgment. That's how you avoid judgment. Not because you're good enough, not because you lived a good life, not because you're better than some. You will only survive when you come to a place where you realize, if I stand before God, apart from Jesus Christ, I am absolutely dead and destroyed. And it will take about five seconds for him to show me that. Demonstrate from my own words and my own actions that I am condemned, I'm guilty, And I'm dead. And the only way to avoid that judgment is to call upon the Lord and say, I'm a sinner, I am condemned, and I have no hope apart from you. And when we call upon Him, Jesus not only comes into our life and gives us the the promise and the presence of His Holy Spirit, but He takes our sin upon Himself and His, our judgment is on Him. He takes our judgment. He who knew no sin became sin for us. So we stand in the time of judgment, but we stand under in the blood of Christ. And the judgment has come upon Christ, and we are saved from the judgment. That's the only way we make it. It doesn't mean that we're innocent. We're not innocent. We're not, we're not without guilt. We are guilty, and we are not innocent. But we are forgiven. We are forgiven because someone came The only one who could come. And that's why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, through me, through my sacrifice. I have to be judged for you. You will not stand before God in judgment. So, I want to close with a quote from the Heidelberg Confession. And it just kind of summarizes this whole, this idea. And uh, we don't do confessions too much. 
but there are some really good theological, biblical thought in these confessions. And the way these confessions go, it's usually there's a question and then there's an answer. So I want to read you the Heidelberg Confession, and uh, then I want to close with one passage, one short passage. The question is, what comfort is it to you that Christ will come to judge the living and the dead? What comfort is it to you that Christ will come to judge the living and the dead? And the answer is, in all my sorrow and persecution, I lift up my head and eagerly await as, as judge from heaven the very same person who before me was, has submitted himself to the judgment of God for my sake has removed all the curse from me. The confession basically answers what Scripture says. In Christ, I can stand. But it's the only way I can stand. And that's why Paul says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Judgment is coming. And the only way that you will survive judgment is to know Jesus Christ. Because those who know Jesus Christ, those who have called on Jesus Christ, those who belong to Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. There is no judgment. Stand with me. Let's pray. Father, as we close this series of messages, as we think about judgment, judgment is coming. And we can't stand in judgment. Not only have we not kept your standards, we don't even keep our own. We're far more heavy-handed on others than we are on ourselves. We, can, we could never... Our hearts sometimes, Father, are... are, are, are Fleeting. We may do the right action, say the right word, but our hearts are so far opposite of what our actions and our words are. And yet there are times where our actions and our hearts show us how far our hearts have drifted from you. Uh, I don't know where people are this weekend, Father. It may be that your Spirit is bringing conviction to hearts even right now about how closely they may be walking with the world, how they have been drifting from you. Maybe how they've lived, they're living a double standard in their life. They live one way sometimes, and then very different in other times. When no one's looking. Father, whatever is going on in our lives that is contrary to the Gospel, would you, through your Spirit, point it out? Show us so that we can deal with it. 
For those that may be here, Father, who have never called upon the Lord, they are under judgment. And they have nothing to stand on. It may be they need to call upon the Lord right now, tonight, this weekend. They may pray a prayer like this. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner. I am condemned. I have no hope of saving myself. I've tried, but I realize I fall short not only of God's standard, but of my own standard, and I need a Savior. And I realize that you sent Jesus to be my Savior, to take my punishment, to be judged in my place. He gave his life on the cross so that I could live. I give my life to him right now. And I ask you to save me from judgment. I ask you to give me new life. I ask you to help me as I begin a journey with you. I pray that your spirit would guide and direct me. And I thank you for saving me from judgment. Father, may we understand that judgment is coming. And you have called us. To warn the world that judgment is coming. And that no one will stand on their own apart from Christ when judgment comes. Though we may want to be bearers of the good news, may we also be ready to share the bad news. And Father, use us this week to help people understand That there is judgment. It is a necessary part of life. And there is a final judge. And they need to be on good terms with him. And that can only come through Christ. Thank you, Father, for saving us. Thank you for sending your son. And Jesus, thank you for coming and willingly giving your life for us. We don't deserve it. We thank you for it. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. And as he dwells in us, may we be responsive to his wooings and direction and conviction and calling. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.